Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen, and we want to thank you for joining us as we discuss the Mormonism through which Joseph Smith introduced polygamy into our American culture. Our returning guest was an active member of the LDS Church for two decades, but he has come to see the beauty of the simplicity of being a follower of Jesus Christ instead of being a church member. He is a practicing dentist in Southern California. He's an active member in the local Christian church there, and he reaches out to Mormons who are transitioning from mere religion into biblical Christianity to help them walk the road that he has already traveled. This is a two-part discussion of, uh, or the second part of a three-part discussion of his book, which we talked about last time, starting at the finish line, which records his story as he transitioned from the religion of Mormonism into the victory and the promised rest of the Jesus of Biblical Christianity. So I'd like to introduce again and welcome back to our show, John Wallace. Thank you, Doris. It's Thank good to be back. Thank you again. Thank yeah, you for coming for again. Me. We didn't get through very much of your book last time. I think the first six chapters we managed to, oh, to talk <laughs> about. And it's a very good book. Uh, and let's talk about that for a minute again and for our new viewers, if, if, if someone hasn't seen the first part anyway. But it's a great book for anyone who's considering a transition out of the Mormon <clears throat> faith, whether they're from a polygamy group or from the mainline church. And we do want our polygamous viewers to realize that although you transitioned out of the mainline church, the same difficulties, the same doubts apply mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to the polygamists as well. The basics are the same. The foundation is the same. And so your book is relevant to the Mormon polygamist as well as to the LDS. So tell our viewers where they can buy a copy of your book. Yes, thank you. Uh, Amazon.com, uh, BarnesandNoble.com, which I think is BN.com. Also, I have a website. It's uh, starting at Finish Line. We've just removed the the, so starting at finishline.com. Mm-hmm. And then a number of uh, local Christian bookstores. I know Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City carries my book, mm-hmm. for example, here locally. Mm-hmm. And a few in Southern California as well. Okay, so. great. And so that gives them a good variety of places to look for yeah. to get your book. So we're <coughs> going to begin this time where we left off last time, which was Grace versus Works. Mm-hmm. So do a quick summary of the Mormon view of easy grace versus mm-hmm. what the biblical view really yeah. is. Yeah, and that's that's always the stress, I think, on the part of the Latter-day Saints. They consider grace to be easy grace, that all you have to do is say, I believe in Jesus. And that means I'm saved, and it really doesn't matter what I do. I can sin all I want, and I still get to go to heaven, uh, which, as we know, is not true. Right. There is a freedom in Christ, but it's not the freedom to do whatever we want. Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 6. He says, "What do we?" I'm paraphrasing, mm-hmm. what do we do now that we have this grace of God within us and then we're saved? Can we just sin all we want and sort of take advantage of this grace? He says, heaven forbid. Yeah. No, no, no. How can you do that? You have been buried with Christ uh, and, and now uh, to sin, and now you rise up in, in new life, mm-hmm. and, and you become a, he later he says, a slave to righteousness. So mm-hmm. it's not about easy grace. And, and the other question is, easy for whom? Right. Certainly not for exactly. Jesus, who suffered horribly on the cross. That's true, and we're going to go to the cross now, which uh, we begin with chapter 8. The, the basis of our salvation 
is the cross. And prefacing that chapter, you quote 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, which I'm going to quote, which says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Yeah. Now, this sounds like nothing else matters, yeah. which, which brings you uh, two possible discussions. One, is it the cross or Gethsemane? Mm-hmm. And nothing to be known or taught except Christ's crucifixion? I yeah. mean, what's that Well, that's all the about? conclusion that Paul came to. He'd come back from Athens where he tried all of his sophistry because he was a slick guy and, mm-hmm. and a very excellent, uh, I think, orator. And he can't, But he made no progress at all. And he said, you know what? From now on, I, I, I'm convinced that I, I'm going to do nothing but preach Christ and him crucified. And as you so eloquently put last time, that is the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Christ dying on the uh, cross for our sins is our salvation. It's not mm-hmm. part of our salvation. Right, absolutely. So... Um, regarding Gethsemane, it, it frustrates me. And I, I know growing up Mormon, I, I always heard that Jesus paid, the, he, he felt the full burden of every sin ever com- committed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And certainly he did. Um, uh, but well, but he, that, that was his suffering. Yeah. It was more of a mental anguish. Uh, the cross, a lot of people were crucified. That's just kind of how the Romans put people to death. And that was somehow sort of incidental. Um, but the Bible tells us that Jesus paid fully for our sins through his blood on the cross, on the cross. Absolutely. So to me, it's a bit of a red herring and it's a diversion from what we really should be focusing on. I think it's the same reason why there, there, are, no, there, there are no crosses on, on Mormon churches because they always say, well, we don't want to focus on the, the, the dead Jesus, but rather the risen Lord. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, but it's in the death of Jesus that we, we gain, or we put into effect the, the grace of God. That's if it wasn't how the, we have access. If it wasn't for the death, then of course we wouldn't have the, the forgiveness. Yeah. Now, and you also wrote in your book that in your LDS church meetings, they usually remarked kind of, you know, like the atonement is a mystery. Yeah. We don't really understand it. Uh, do you now understand this mystery? And in fact, in reality, is it a mystery? Not at all. In fact, I think God has gone to great lengths to spell, and why wouldn't he, to spell out the central sort of masterpiece of his plan of redemption, which is his precious son dying on the cross for our sins. And and, and looking back now, that's exactly what I would hear in Sunday school, even in uh, general conference, in, in ways we'll never understand. Jesus somehow, the, the atonement, it was always ethereal and yeah. mysterious. But the fact is, uh, if you go to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 8, Paul spells it out very clearly. This is the gospel. There's nothing particularly... Now, it's it's wonderful. It's mind-blowing. I'm not going to say that I fully understand the love of God, but in terms of the vehicle by which he brought about our salvation... It's very understandable. That's right. We are adopted Mm -hmm. into his family through the propitiation made by Jesus through his shed blood. On the cross. Now, you also wrote in this chapter that there are five foundational truths to Christ's sacrifice, and we're going to put these five up on the screen. They are, number one, God's love. Two, a pure unblemished offering. Next is substitutionary sacrifice. Next is propitiation. And the fifth is totelestai. Mm-hmm. Although each of these headings desire, <clears throat> deserve probably a couple of hours discussion for no each doubt. one. We're just going to quickly go through the first four, if you will. But then let's land for a little bit on number five, totelestai. Sure. Uh, shall we start there? Or? Go, well, go, the, the fact that God's love brought yeah. about the sacrifice. For of God the, so loved the world right. that he gave his only begotten son. Everything that God does is stems from his unsurpassing love. Mm-hmm. And so, because there are those that would say, well, what kind of a God would do that and, and have his son oh, suffer and die? Oh, I've heard people ask me that. Mm-hmm. Or that once Jesus was on the hook for this sacrifice, then the father fled to the furthest corner of heaven because he could not bear the, I've heard that before in, in mm-hmm. LDS church meetings, for example. Oh, my. 
Um, we'll get to why, in fact, the Father does need to remove himself here in a minute, but uh, it all stems from God's love. And, and ultimately, Jesus then, uh, what's the second one? The, the, um, the blemished pure and unblemished offering. offering. Yeah. Jesus lived a perfect life. Now, the, the Latter-day Saints will often say, yeah, Je- Jesus lived a perfect life as the gold standard. That, that's the example. Now, we need to learn how to live just like mm-hmm. Jesus. The fact is, Jesus is God, the Son. It just so happened to be that he took upon himself flesh and, and lived... Uh, uh, an earthly life, but the fact of the matter is the main reason that he needed to live a perfect life was to be the pure, unblemished Lamb of right. God for offering. And so he could give us his righteousness. Uh, indeed. As, as yeah. That's part of it. Yeah, that's right. And so, yeah, he does set an example, but really that's kind of ancillary to the mm-hmm. real uh, sort of foundational reason for his purity. Yeah. And then thirdly, um, he is our substitute. Mm-hmm. He he dies in place of us. Now we'll get to that a little bit later, but that that's critical to understand. Just like the, technically, um, that innocent little lamb in ancient days was not guilty of anything, right. and yet they slit its little throat and bled it out. It's sad. It's horrible. Um, and, and what did he ever do wrong? Answer: Nothing at all. But he dies in place of us as they lay hands upon that little innocent mm-hmm. animal. It somehow exonerates or forgives the children of Israel for their sin throughout the entire year. Well, that's weird. Yeah, it is. It's a symbol. It's yeah. pointing to the yeah. ultimate sacrifice. Yeah. In fact, people sometimes when they, if they'll say, well, that's not fair, that's not fair. I'll say, if you want to know what's not fair, the only thing unfair in this life is look at Jesus on the cross. Amen. Because he died yeah. in our place. That's okay, right. let's stop on to telestai. Yes, that's a Greek word that means uh, paid in full. It is finished. It's completely done. And in the old days, by the way, if you were a prisoner in ancient Greek culture, and let's say you robbed a store and you were sentenced to 20 years in prison, above the cell of that prisoner, it would say, uh, here's so-and-so, and and here's here's what he's convicted of, 20 years. After one year, they would remove that placard and replace with 19, Mm -hmm. 18, as he worked off his time and his debt to society. At the end of his 20 years of incarceration, Doris, they would replace the one, which would be the last year of a sentence, with the word tetelestai, paid in full. Paid in full. His debt to society has been paid in full. Mm-hmm. When Jesus, the very last words he ever said was, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. What he's saying is, I have completed the work for your salvation. And it's it's paid in full. Mm-hmm. And the implications are far-reaching. And that's in John 19, 29 through 30. It says, and I quote, a jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge Um, full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bound his head and gave up his spirit. That's right. It is finished is that word to tell a story Correct. That, that this chapter and, is and about. And you might look at that and say, oh, uh, it is finished. My life is finished. And that is true. That's part of it. But the, the, in the greater, now that we know, and as the gospel is fleshed out in the New Testament, mm-hmm. we understand that the work of salvation is completed It's completed, cross. absolutely. There was nothing left to do. Nothing left, not even our good works. Yeah, that's it right. It was completely finished. In my finished. book, I refer to it as God's great masterpiece. And, and my question mm-hmm. is, would you ever, ever consider adding to the Mona Lisa? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you going to add to some of Mozart's great works and would you teach would you in attempt to, tr- to teach Michael Jordan how to play basketball just leave it as the masterpiece that it is mm-hmm. and, and, Absolutely. Uh, and that's critical and that it is too okay chapter 9 the sufficiency of the blood yeah. we talked about the blood the blood of the cross not the blood in Gethsemane which I don't think he bled into Gethsemane any, anyway it was like like drops like drop. yeah. but anyway it says um, uh, in, in your book you talk about the trouble with the works oriented religion is primarily that all the good works to save a soul is plus the blood 
that yeah. Jesus shed on the cross. Now, yeah. in polygamy communities, the additional works required is polygamy. Polygamy mm-hmm. is an essential. The LDS, they have foundational works. It's just as important as it is to polygamists in order to get into heaven. But there are certain sins that we can commit mm-hmm. that Jesus' blood does not atone for. That's on right. page 81, you wrote, I quote, I could have sworn that Christ forgave us all our sins, yeah. nailing the written code to the cross. Yeah, Colossians, yeah, that's you, right. You called it offensive for anybody to think that we can pay for our sins that supposedly Jesus' yeah. blood didn't pay for. Why is it offensive? I think most Latter-day Saints would uh, sort of take offense to that and, and certainly would not understand that, it, although it may be well-meaning, in other words, Jesus did his part, what I call Jesus plus. Jesus did his part, now I've got to do mine. Right. Uh, and so I am going to somehow add to what he did. Um, or like this uh, sufficiency of the blood, this idea that if I murder someone in cold blood, the blood of Jesus will not, I mean, Joseph Fielding Smith wrote this very, and so did Brigham Young, will not cleanse me of that sin. Why? Because I can't fully repent, Doris. Why? Mm. Because I can't make restitution. Yeah. I can't give him his life back. I yeah. took his life in cold mm. blood. Therefore, mm. I've, I've got to go ahead and, and shed my own blood. Now, so now the blood of a sinner, me, that exonerates me? but the precious blood of a perfect son of God will not. That's what's offensive. What it's saying essentially is, I don't trust that your blood, Jesus, is enough to save me. You need my help. And it is so, when you put it in those terms, I think even the devout Mormon would say, yeah, that is kind of messed up. <laughs> I hope they think that. <laughs> I hope so too. And that's why but, I posed the question. But, yeah. and, and they do think that we, they, he did his part, and so we need to do our part. But he didn't have a part to do. He did our part. Yeah. What he did was our part. Yeah, that's right. And that speaks to the substitutionary offering. Exactly. Well, uh-huh. uh, uh, we'll probably get to it later, but 2 Corinthians 5.21, the whole gospel in one oh, sentence. that's a beautiful sentence. He, the Father, it? made him, the Son, who knew no sin, the, the perfect unblemished lamb, knew mm-hmm. no sin, to become sin on our behalf mm-hmm. so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Mm-hmm. Wow. Just uh, taking our sins and giving us his righteousness That's right. is what it is. And you call it the divine exchange. That's right. On page 82, you write in the margin, and you've already said this before, but we're there now. Christ on the cross dying for our sins is our salvation. Yeah. So we look at the cross, that is our salvation. Can Correct. it be any more simple than that? No, but a, but a complicated religious system doesn't want to hear that mm-hmm. because then where's their authority? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if it's that simple, uh, any old dummy can do it. Well, and, and let's, let's bring up the word tithing here, which isn't mm-hmm. part of any of, of what I had in mind to talk about your book. But, but if we don't have to tithe to fire insurance to get into heaven... Yeah. What are these leaders going to do without your tithing money? Yeah, They're afraid right. that you're not going to pay them their whatever. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and where's their authority to, I hate to use the word extract that out of people, but in right. a sense, it is pay to play. It is extraction. It's pay to play. It, you betcha it is. I mean, do you want to go to the highest heaven where God is? That's what the Christians would say is heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you got to go to the temple. Well, how do you go to the temple? You got to have a temple recommend. Well, how do you get a temple recommend? In part, you must be a full tithe payer, mm-hmm. pay to play. Right, exactly. And in the polygamy groups, it's even more so because mm-hmm. the United Order is you give us all your money, not ten yeah. percent, yeah. all of it. I believe it. And then we we let you have some back, maybe. That's right. So, so after this next question, um, uh, first, uh, if you'd answer it as when you were a Mormon, mm-hmm. and then answer it now as okay. a Christian. What do you think, why do you think the churches of Mormonism and the polygamists do not have a cross on the top of their building? 
after all, the cross is the foundation of our salvation. Yeah. Well, I'll let the Mormons sp speak for themselves for the most part, and that is, well, we don't want to remember you know, the dead Jesus. We want to remember the risen Lord. And secondly, and this was the answer I used to give when I was Mormon, and that is, well, if your cousin were stabbed by a buck knife, would you have a bloody buck knife above your fireplace in commemoration of your cousin? Of course you wouldn't. Why, that's gruesome, you see. Yeah, yeah. And so we don't want to remember the bloody cross. Yeah. We, we'd rather have a, a spire that, that speaks more to our goal and desire to become more and more like God and ascend into the celestial kingdom. Well, From an LDS standpoint, I, I get that. I really do. And, and I, we heard the same thing growing yeah. up in the polygamy group. But you know, in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 11, where we give Paul gives instructions to the Corinthian church on communion, the Lord's Supper, mm -hmm. or sacrament, as Mormonism calls it. It says, do this in remembrance of his death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Until he we returns. We are to contemplate that death. That death is important, yeah. um, and that's the reason we do communion. It's for no other reason. How about pick up your cross and follow him daily? Make, and that's have, the have death. The thought of cross. That's yeah. the death dying to self. That's Absolutely. Right. Okay. Now you used a word. I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce correctly. On page 99, and the word is metano metano metanoia. Uh, yeah. What is that? Yeah, metanoia. <laughs> I, well, I, in my book, I called it macro repentance, and what it means uh, in in uh, I think it's in uh, Matthew four. Uh, that initially when, when Jesus began his uh, ministry, he said, repent and, uh, for, for the kingdom, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is, is, is nigh or at hand. Mm -hmm. And that word repent in the Greek is metanoia. But it, what it means is to, to turn around, to change to your mind. Direction, and yeah. in a sense, repentance and, and saving faith go hand in hand. One cannot come to saving faith without true repentance. True. And in this case, what it means is I turn away from living for myself in the flesh and I turn to God. I don't even know what that's going to look like, except that it's God now as Lord over my life. Um, and, and away from my own sin. It doesn't mean I'm never going to sin again. It means I want to obey God. Right. That's metanoia. Yeah. Now, now micro-repentance is the day-to-day -day repentance that we undergo as true believing Christians because we sin every day. John says in First John, if you say, I'm paraphrasing, if you say that you have no sin in you, you're a liar. You're lying to God and you're mm -hmm, lying to yourself. Mm -hmm. And to each other. <laughs> yeah, and to each other, yeah. And, that, and, and that's one of the things I love about uh, the church that I go to. We're a non-denominational church, and these are the most transparent people I've ever seen in my life. It just I marvel at their honesty. And, man, I'm really struggling with this, that, or the other. And, and in the Mormon church, yeah. you would never say, I'm struggling with pornography. I'm struggling with drug addiction. I, 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 no, mm -hmm. You wouldn't do struggling that. Struggling with your sin. No, you have to be absolutely perfect yeah. in what other people see and think, and that's the way it is in polygamy groups as well. Yeah. I love what you've written on page 103. Again, another quote from your book. You said, isn't it ironic that when it's all said and done, it's all about who you know. Yeah, and right. it's not who you know, it's not, it's not what I did, but who you know. Yeah. But the people in this culture will say, and they do. They do say this. You've heard it. I've heard it. They'll say that they do know Jesus. Yeah. They'll, they'll say that they have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So there's obviously a misunderstanding somewhere. And that misunderstanding is eternally serious. Yeah. Explain the 
prerequisite. You have a garbage gold brick scenario. Oh, you like that story? Yeah. <laughs> it's a good story, and I think it's very indicative of kind of the Mormon mindset. I'll share that quickly. Basically, you, it's trash day, and you've got two glad bags in your hand, uh, Doris, and you're just, just to unload the trash. But your best friend runs up to you and says, Doris, Doris, I, I've won the lottery. I know this sounds crazy, and I don't really have time to explain, but she has two gold bricks, and it's worth over a million dollars. Just take these. I'm, this is my gift to you, and there's more where this came from. So take these. But the problem is you can't take the gold bricks because your hands are full of garbage. What to do? Well, the reasonable person th gladly throws <laughs> down the trash and receives the gold, you see. And, and, and the tie-in is this. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 says, uh, he lists all his bona fides, and he has got it like that. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day. He says toward the end of his qualifications, as pertaining to the law, blameless. Outwardly, he was perfect in obeying the law. But everything turns in, in verse 7 of Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, but mm -hmm. all of these things that I thought were so valuable, as it turns out, were complete and total garbage, mm -hmm. including his perfect obedience to the law. And so he, what he says in Philippians 3 is, I had to get to that point where I saw even my good stuff, my obedience, my circumcision, all this good stuff, nothing wrong with any of that, mm -hmm. my zeal, yeah. you see as garbage so that so that i can receive christ and be found in him not having a righteousness on oh, my own my or of own. my own but that which comes from god mm -hmm. and is by faith in christ and i'm thinking dang i mean even even, even paul mm -hmm. a pretty righteous guy you know perfect he says even he cannot receive christ unless he set you got to set the garbage down or you can never receive the gold that's right and i never understood that because i knew that my secret sin life was garbage but my goods my tithing what about my mission to argentina that was hard people rejected me i had a grapefruit thrown right in my face right after argentina won the world cup because they thought we were training for for uh, england you know knocked me right off my feet and they mm. laughed at me and oh and i suffered doris oh i mm. suffered mightily see that's good stuff mm. Was that helping to purchase your eternal life? To have that yes, at the right? time. The grapefruit, heck yeah, that got me a few points. <laughs> or fasting. Fasting's hard when you're hungry and you're skinny. You know? So so the point is I, I it took me years to finally mm -hmm. set the garbage down, which is my my bad and my good stuff. Isaiah says our best righteousness is but filthy rags. Filthy rags. Well yeah, to, to, God. A, to a holy God, you betcha. But many people say no to this gift. I, yes, know, they, 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 they don't say yes. Yeah, it's hard because number one, and, and this is where I think the key, well, I'm going to speak for myself. When I was LDS and I was a good Mormon, I'm better than you. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't go to the, the clubs where people do that stuff. And I, I pay tithing and I dress nicely and I don't use foul language. I'm better than you. I'm not going to say that, Doris, but that's how I felt. So for me, if I admit that salvation has nothing to do with that kind of goodness, it's just a gift from God, then any old knucklehead can go to heaven. Well, I want, give me something. I have to maintain my uh, sort of superiority here. Give me a better heaven, for example. Yeah, you see. yeah. But don't be leveling the playing field because I'm an A student. You see, I'm not an F student. Don't be giving everybody a C. But it is a level playing field, isn't it? It is a level playing field, it, it, and the Bible makes us, that very clear. Yeah, and the level playing field is we are completely and totally, we are condemned as sinners unless and until we come to saving faith in and Jesus And God Christ. does not see us as Mormon or Baptist or Catholic or, he doesn't see us at any, no. any segregation whatsoever. We're either saved sinners or unsaved sinners. That's exactly right. 
Another topic you cover, which I love, is the celebration of our yeah. salvation. Yeah. You said in the margin on page 110 that the Latter-day Saint rarely, if ever, will celebrate his or her salvation. I've never heard it. This is certainly true in the polygamous group, too. Yeah, but yet with Christians, that's all we do. It's, yeah. it's regularly we, we celebrate with joy and jubilation. It's, it sounds arrogant to the Latter-day Saint when the Christian says, I know that I'm going to heaven. Because it sounds like, oh, I got it in the bag. It's like I've had my calling and election made sure or something. Mm, yeah. Which is interesting because in a sense we have because Christ makes that promise. He did it, yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you have the son, you have the life. Mm-hmm. But that's not what the Christian means. What the Christian means is, I know I'm going to heaven because I have put my full faith and trust in Jesus. I'm awful. What seems like arrogance is actually the ultimate sort of display of humility. I am awful and I'm a sinner. But I'm going to heaven because Jesus is perfect. Remember, he takes my sin, but then he gives me his His, righteousness, the imputed righteousness. So my mother asked me uh, a few years ago before I wrote this book, well, just how perfect do you have to be? And I said, (laughs) Mom, that's a great question. Answer, absolutely perfect. God cannot tolerate any sin at all, you see. And that was her argument that you've got to do all the right things and be perfect. And I'm saying, Mm -hmm. "Mm, I think I'd rather be clothed in the robes of Jesus' righteousness. That's a a better bet. And that's what he does, and that's our perfections. And now to the main point that I want to get at in our discussion is on page 111 where you wrote, and I quote, Christianity is the only religion, although I hate to use that word, that starts at the finish line. Salvation is guaranteed up front. Yeah. It gets back to that word to tell us Jesus it says it is finished. What is finished? The work. The work is finished. There are works involved. It's Jesus' work on the cross. And salvation is guaranteed. It is guaranteed. Uh, John says in First John, I think, 5, he says, I write these things unto you so that you may know know that that you have salvation. So that you might think. Now, the Mormon doesn't like that because ultimately, if you know you have it in the bag, then you'll just do any old thing. I know we're going to talk more about what it means to be born again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and Mm -hmm. so I won't uh, uh, jump ahead. But it's very, very difficult for the religionist, the person that feels like you've got to do certain things, to accept this idea that it's already done Mm -hmm. because then you'll just do any old thing. And we we know that's not true. God's Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit dwells within us and And, we begin to want to obey God. We're kind of winding down now for our second half hour of the show. But as we wind down, I want to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And I quote, And you also... No, this is Ephesians 1 through 13. I'm sorry, that's the wrong one. About the guaranteeing our eternal life. Mm. You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, Mm. who is a Mm -hmm. deposit Mm -hmm. guaranteeing. There's that word guarantee. Our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is a guarantee. If God guarantees something, does it get any better than that? As Is there a guarantee can. any better than that? No, there's not. No Mormon church, no polygamy group, no religion can guarantee yeah. like that and through the evi- Holy Spirit. And it eviscerates that very religion that says otherwise. Because then where's their authority? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, where is their authority? And that's, of course, through the Holy Spirit. So we are winding down again. We've, we've got another um, half hour that Wonderful. we're going to do. We'll need it. <laughs> uh, to, to finish up talking about your book. There's a lot we could, we could really talk about. But I do appreciate your coming. Uh, it is exciting to talk about these things. And I'm sure glad that you've written this book because it brings out so many of those questions and so many of those things that people need to know Thank you, Doris. about that. So uh, we'll be talking with you again next time. And so again, we want to thank you for watching and we want to thank John Wallace for being our guest. We do have one more show to finish discussing his book. 
his book, excuse me. So we will pick up next time at where we left off and starting of the finish line. During this next week, we do pray that God will bless you where you need it the very most. And we do hope to see you next time as we go through his book. And this is Polygamy, What Love Is This? This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.